0: Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't let them in. Star Wars,
1: those parents, Star Wars, talking about Star Wars on a podcast.
0: Hello, and welcome to Give Me Those Star Wars, the official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water. Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and I am so excited for this episode because it's a topic I love with a guest I, you know, strongly like. You ought to know him (laughs) as one of the hosts of Radio vs. the Martians and Podcast de la Vista, baby. Please welcome Mr. Mike Gillis. How are you, Mike?
2: How are you doing, Ryan Daly?
0: I am great. I'm thrilled to be talking about the Lando system.
2: Lando's not a system. Lando's a man.
0: (laughs) He says you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before Mike and I get to our main topic, which, as we just said, is Lando Calrissian, the question I ask all my guests at the beginning, how did you become a Star Wars fan?
2: I don't think there was a time of my life where I actually retained memory that I wasn't a Star Wars fan. I think it was in that misty prehistory where you don't really remember things except specific little moments but Star Wars has always been there. I think there are two nerdy loves that I've retained from that early childhood into the present day. One is superheroes and the other one is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I remember the Star Wars toys. I remember, I don't know if the toys came before the movie for me. I think they might have, but as I remember watching Return of the Jedi on Betamax and there's just that image of R2-D2 and C-3PO walking towards Jabba's palace in the desert. I remember that shot very clearly. Uh, That's probably the thing that stuck with me the most in that that early uh, watching of the movie. I was like five at the time. And I remember getting my first Star Wars Christmas where I got like the Millennium Falcon toy. And I think there was a Return of the Jedi speeder bike. And it was just – it was amazing. And I guess it just sort of held on from there. I think when I was 10, I got the three VHS pack for uh, Christmas. And I watched the crap out of those movies. I would get up early enough on a weekday before school – that I could watch an entire different Star Wars movie before leaving for the bus. I mean, that's how much of a nerd I was for this stuff. And it's pretty crazy because it was a thing that I've kind of rediscovered. I mean, obviously, I'm one of those people that is a grumpy old fan that kind of had my fandom, I guess, immolated by the prequel trilogy that came out. I mean, the height of my fandom was probably the 90s. And... I've kind of come back to it since then, and I've kind of rediscovered that I actually like this stuff. I got a copy of the original trilogy on DVD that had the extra bonus discs that had the theatrical versions on there. Mm -hmm. I mean, the picture isn't perfect, but I'm used to watching it on VHS, so it's a step up. Right. And I've kind of rediscovered that I actually really like these movies and that it isn't just nostalgia and that there's a lot there that, of course, I get that same touch of that emotional you know charge that i got when i was six i don't think i've come back all the way from the prequel trilogy because that burned my love of star wars for like a decade Mm -hmm. but there's more love there i guess i thought there was a ceiling to how much i could get excited about star wars or a new star wars movie that ceiling has been shattered in the last year or so and i never expected to be this excited about star wars again I'm right there with you. And I, I've mentioned it
0: before, but you know, when they announced that they were gonna be doing new Star Wars movies, my impression was okay, it'll be nice for new fans, for a new generation, but it's not gonna have the same effect on me. It just can't. And day by day, inch by inch, it started to worm its way back into my head and I I'm I'm there now. I'm I mean, I'm doing a Star Wars podcast, so I should tell you that my fandom is in full resurgence mode.
2: Yeah, I'm probably reading more Star Wars stuff than I probably ever had. I mean, the Star Wars comics that Marvel's putting out are great. I mean, they were, they're were they great to the point that if The Force Awakens had been really bad, then I would have been still happy because these comics would have reignited that thing that I remembered. Mm-hmm. But it turns out the movie was was really quite good. And I was very happy with the fact that it really recaptured what we loved about Star Wars. It reminded me of the tone and... The fact that these movies really should be a fun space opera with engaging, interesting characters that you kind of think of as your surrogate friends, that they're on the screen, that you're not really there, but you feel like you're going on adventures with them Mm -hmm. and you want to see them succeed. It's about these people liking each other and taking great risks for each other. And it's fun again. I mean, that was the problem. And I'm not going to get into the issues of the prequels, but I kind of have managed to sum it up as one thing, which is it feels like the characters in the prequels do not like each other. And they don't want to be there. It feels like they've all been called in on their day off. And they're just like, I could be doing something else right now. I could be golfing. And I missed that element for a very long time. It also brought in a lot more of, and we're going to talk about this a lot during the episode proper, but the fact that there's sort of a scoundrel, you know, criminal underbelly to this universe instead of just a sterile Jedi stuff. The Jedi stuff is a major part of the universe. But it's only one part of it. And I think that if you focus on too much of one element in Star Wars, that you definitely feel like you're missing something. And in the new movie, we definitely got uh, Jedi stuff, but we also got the sort of scoundrel underworld stuff. We also got the uh, X-Wing pilot stuff. We got we got a lot of everything. And I know that J.J. Abrams have gotten some criticism for people saying this is just a reboot or a reimagining of the original movie. But you know what? I'm totally cool with that. I think that's exactly what the series needed, was a return to form. It needed a sense of resetting itself, and of course, in the next movie, Episode Eight, we can do the same thing that Empire Strikes Back did, which is just take it in a whole new direction. Now that we've built that foundation and set that tone and created these engaging characters like Ray and Finn and Poe Dameron that I want to go on adventures with again. Mm-hmm. Again, I never expected to be at this level of positivity. I'm a huge fan of Superman and Batman, but I don't want to see their new movie. And, you know, if if other people are happy with that, you know, more power to them. But I kind of expected to be in that place with Star Wars that I'm kind of like, okay, that's a thing happening over there. It's a fandom that's passed me by and I'm kind of comfortable walking away from it. That's cool. But I didn't expect to be this reengaged. You know, I didn't expect to be this excited to see these people again not only did original Star Wars came back I think classic Harrison Ford came back for this movie I don't think we've seen him this engaged in an acting performance since maybe Air Force One Right. where right. it feels like for the longest time he just hated acting like he didn't want to be there he didn't want to and he's engaged again you're reminded that this guy really is a great actor he's incred- incredibly charismatic mm-hmm. incredibly uh, engaging on the screen mm-hmm. he's got a great presence And he was a great, you know, passing the torch type character to help get these new characters in the place they needed to be. And that's one thing. I think somebody mentioned this. I don't know if it was on uh, your podcast or if it was on uh, Rob Kelly's, but when you're watching this movie, you don't find yourself asking where Luke is all the time because that was the first line of the movie. Luke Skywalker has vanished. But instead, you are so engaged with these new characters that you don't feel their absence nearly as keenly. Mm -hmm. That I don't feel like okay, I get it, I get it, these are new people, stop putting... It's kind of like when, you know, an old uh, band comes out, and you're like, I don't want to hear your new songs, play the hits. And no, it's, it's, no, I want to hear the new songs, because the new characters are great, and I am totally happy with them carrying these uh, new movies. I think that's great, and I think that they're already moving in that direction. So I couldn't be happier.
0: That will allow the movies going forward to actually surprise us, because... We don't have their their destinies locked in yet, uh, unlike the older characters, which are great for for purposes of nostalgia, but uh, I'm ready to see the next stage, something new, something that I haven't seen before in a Star Wars movie. So that's what I hope they do. And that sort of brings us into our next segment. Listeners, I told you last time that I'd be premiering a new feature on this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, which is something I'm calling Star Wars Current Events. Now, I'm not married to that title, it might change, and exactly how current the news is might vary depending on when these episodes are recorded. For example, the episode you're listening to now will come out mid to late February, at which point the news Mike and I are going to discuss is at least a month old, and that big news item is Disney and Lucasfilm have postponed the release of Star Wars Episode Eight from May of 2017 to December that year. Mike, you heard the news, and what do you think about it?
2: I think it's good. You know, I know that people are going to complain, but I'm fine with it if it means that the movie can be that much more finished. I mean, we're spoiled. I mean, it's not like this is going to be the next Star Wars movie we have. This is one movie removed. We're going to get another Star Wars movie, I believe, I think it's Rogue One is going to be coming out next Christmas or around mm-hmm. next Christmas. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're going to be starving. And the fact is, most times you have a movie and then a sequel comes out. The usual wait time is something like three years. I mean, the every Star Wars movie up until this point had about a three-year spacing in between it. So we're already spoiled. Oh, we have two years wait rather than a year and a half. And If it's what it needs to do to make the script as good as it needs to be, from what my understanding is, uh, they're actually taking into account a lot of the character reactions to Force Awakens into the writing of this movie. A lot of it sounded kind of like they were backing away a little bit from these new characters being the lead characters, and they were going to introduce even more people into this universe. And they're like, no, we see that people really love Ray and Finn and Poe, so we're going to make them a bigger part of this movie. I think that's the best thing you can do. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think it's going to be a better movie because of it.
0: I agree completely. Um, my first thought was, I, you know, I kind of sighed I was like, Oh, that sucks. We're not going to get it for, you know, another seven months after however long we had to wait. But thinking about it, and I remember when they first made the announcement that, okay, Star Wars was going to be a new Christmas event rather than a summer blockbuster. And that felt a little weird, but the financial success that this movie has had in the month of December, The Force Awakens, that is, just incredible. And now knowing that the next Star Wars movie is going to be in December, but then I think it was the president, it was somebody higher up at Disney, it was like Bob Iger or Alan Horn, said, yeah, we want to do episode 8 in May of 2017 because it was going to be one day removed from the 40th anniversary of the original Star Wars' release date. Okay, I kind of get that, you know, that's that would be special, but it seems like an arbitrary reason to release it on that date, if if you can avoid it, because that year is already going to be crowded with, with movies. Another Disney property now, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, was also going to come out in May of 2017. You're going to have these two giant space opera action flicks within two weeks of each other. And I was like, that's that seems a little bit counterproductive. I, I think they're going to cannibalize each other. So the fact that they're waiting, I think, is a good idea. Like you said, they can make the script better. They can find out exa- what the what the fans were responding to, what the fans wanted. Give us more of that. And I, I don't think I'll be missing it in that summer because I'll have a bunch of Marvel movies and whatever DC Warner Brothers is putting out. I think Warner. Uh, Wonder Woman comes out that year too. So I I, I I think ultimately the move is going to be a good one.
2: I think so too. I, I have a lot of hope for it, which is something I don't have for a lot of franchise movies nowadays. I think aside from the Captain America movies, there really isn't anything that I get really excited about. I mean, it's kind of like, Oh, that's nice. That's kind of cool. But I guess we are just inundated with all of this stuff. We live in kind of a golden age of nerddom now where there's so much stuff coming out that it's incredibly easy to skip huge chunks of it because there's just so much. And I think one of the real advantages that Force Awakens had being set during the holidays is it made it a lot easier for people to do repeat viewings, that you were going back several times and everyone had a couple weeks off and they had a lot of relatives coming over. And that's really the repeat viewings in the theater that are sending this one over the top, that it isn't that every bunch of people have seen it just once. It's that a bunch of people have seen it like three or four times and that it's a movie that I think lends itself really well to reviewings and that you never feel bored even after watching it the third time. And I can't say that about a lot of blockbusters. There's a lot of blockbusters out there that I can watch once. And I can actually enjoy it quite a bit, but I have no real desire to revisit it. And if they can do that with Episode Eight, and also do it in a time of the year where there isn't a lot of blockbuster competition, it could easily blow even Episode Seven out of the water in terms of the money it brings in.
0: We'll see. And we've got one bonus item of Star Wars current events. Starting in April, Marvel Comics will be publishing a new ongoing series titled Poe Dameron, which, as you can probably guess, follows the best fighter pilot in the Resistance in stories set before The Force Awakens. The series will be written by Charles Soule and illustrated by Phil Noto. Uh, Any interest in picking up the Poe Dameron comic?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, I liked Poe quite a bit. He didn't get a lot of screen time, but... Oscar Isaac is just just an engaging screen presence that I didn't need to see him on screen that long to like his character, that he really is an incredibly charismatic actor. I liked his character. He got a lot of great lines. But also I think he's the perfect of the main new characters to do a series about because everyone else has a lot of elements that are in mystery that we don't know their backstory or revealing too much of their backstory or giving too many adventures of them would spoil or lead to a lot of the things that are going to be coming up in future movies. But with Poe, I think you can go there and actually expand on a lot of the stuff about the Resistance and its relationship to the Republic and the First Order and all that stuff and give us a lot of these cool adventures in that world. Like, you couldn't do a series about Rey because there's a lot of stuff about Rey that's being uh, written right now that, of course, they're not going to spoil in a comic book series. Right? They're not gonna They're not going to bring that up because there's so much of... Her character that's in mystery that we're going to wait to hear about in like episode eight and nine. And I can't wait to see where they they go with that. But obviously, they're not going to give you big answers in a, a spin off comic book. They're going to give you those answers in a movie. Right. So we're probably not going to see anything related to uh, Poe, Finn, or uh, no, and, I'm sorry, Ray, Finn, or um, Kylo Ren until the three movies have come out. And once that's sort of established, that's why you can do a series about Darth Vader because Darth Vader has had so many stories written about him and his main trajectory of his entire life has been written so it's easy to fit stuff into this completed story it's a lot harder to do that with somebody who's only appeared in one movie right. but with with a character like Poe I think he really lends himself to being a tour guide to the status quo of the current you know Force Awakens era universe without stepping on too many toes about the mythology
0: Well. And Ray and Finn, their stories really begin in the movie. Their stories begin oh, in yeah. the Force Awakens. That's where their adventure begins. Poe, not so much. Poe already had stuff going on before that, and you can tell the stories of him learning to be a good fighter pilot. You can tell his early missions. The you know the first time the Resistance encounters the First Order. All those things you can delve into, and I, as you mentioned, kind of setting the stage or delving into what is the status quo of the new republic and the resistance that was something that was really underdeveloped in the movie and i think a lot of people have questions about that and they can get their answers in this comic uh so yeah i'm i'm very happy with that in terms of the older expanded universe i always loved the x-wing comics and the x-wing books so um, i'm really excited to see what they do with that Absolutely. People, there is a lot of Star Wars news out there. So much it would take an entire podcast to cover it all in depth, and that is not the purpose of this show. But if you want to hear more about Star Wars news, there are two podcasts you can check out. The Resistance Broadcast, which is run by the staff of StarWarsNews.net, and Collider Jedi Council, which is part of Collider Movie Talk. Now, Mike and I are going to take a short promotional break, but we will be back in a minute to talk about the Lando system.
2: (music) I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Dorn, And we want to ask you an important question. Are you sick and tired of other panel discussion shows wasting your time droning on and on about foreign policy, economics, and human rights? Or do you want to hear conversations about things that actually matter? We host a podcast called Radio vs. the Martians. Every month we gather a panel of our nation's finest minds and plunge a rusty prison shank into the heart of tough questions that have an impact on the lives of real people like you. Like, are drivers required to pull over for the Ghostbusters? Is the United Federation of Planets actually an oppressive dictatorship run by guidance counselors? Is Arnold Schwarzenegger secretly a genius? And are we being mean when we laugh at movies that are so bad they're good? So, write your congressman and let them know that Radio vs. the Martians is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on RadioVsTheMartians.com.
0: We are back, and I feel like I've been waiting forever to do this episode, which is a strange thing to say on episode two, but when I first started Deadboth and Spies, my first Star Wars podcast, more than a year ago, one of the topics I wanted to do was a spotlight on Lando Calrissian, who is one of my favorite characters. When I found out how much you liked the character, I thought, perfect, you'll be my guest on that episode. But then the journey to The Force Awakens kind of consumed everything about that old podcast, and the subject got tabled until today. So tell us in a nutshell what you like or what you think about Lando Calrissian.
2: The thing that I really like about Lando is, uh, well, first of all, he wasn't always my favorite Star Wars character. I think he's somebody that's kind of slipped into the role of my favorite Star Wars character as I've gotten older. For the longest time, my favorite was Han Solo, that the seedy underbelly smuggler, bounty hunter, crime lord side of the Star Wars universe has always been my favorite. And as much as I love Han, I keep coming back to the fact that Lando is actually a much more complex character, that he's a much more interesting character. And I think he injects a real sense of moral ambiguity into the Star Wars universe. Uh, one of the things that he really does is he shows you a side of the Star Wars universe during the Galactic Civil War, which isn't really involved in it. And we've got little pieces of that with a, the Mos Eisley Cantina, but really it gives you a sense of there are people in this universe that are are not trying to defeat the Empire. They're not trying to help the Empire. They're simply trying to survive it and eke out an existence and make a profit during it. And Lando really is one of those sorts of characters. What he manages to do is... He gives a real sense of versatility as a character that you don't necessarily get in any of the other main characters in Star Wars. If we're going to look at this sort of on a scale, you sort of take all the individual Star Wars characters, imagine that they got a Marvel miniseries that just focused on them, and some of them have. If you're going to write a miniseries or a separate movie about Han Solo, you have an idea of what kind of story you'd write. It's like him as a smuggler, it's him leading a strike force for the Rebel Alliance, it's something like that. And if you have a story about, say, Princess Leia, Princess Leia is going to be like a military leader. She's going to be a diplomat. She's going to be going to some distant planet to try to bring somebody into the Rebel Alliance or make them join the New Republic. And something kind of comes up from there. With Lando, Lando can do both of those things. And I don't really think that you can take a character like Princess Leia and have her comfortably move into a Han Solo story. She knows how to deal with with people like this, but she deals with them as a diplomat or a politician. you know the sort of seedy underbelly job of the hut types where han solo he can very easily go into a shady bar and find someone to help him steal something, but if you took him to sort of the diplomatic dinner where he has to convince this politician this like galactic you know planetary governor that they should join the rebel alliance he 's going to not only botch that situation he 's not going to be comfortable there he 's not going to know what fork to use or to be able to know what title to call somebody, to not insult them. in Lando, again, can do both of these things, that he can go into the C D bar and set up a heist and be completely at ease and comfortable in that environment. But he also knows exactly what to say to the diplomat. He knows how to talk to an ambassador, and he can charm them. He's somebody that can do all of these things. I think there are more stories you can tell about him because Han Solo, when you get down to it, is really a man of action. That was actually one of the jokes they had in Force Awakens, is that he talks about, oh, I'll just talk my way out of it, and even Chewie didn't buy it, right? Because talking for Han is really just a stalling action, so he can pull his gun out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the whole thing with Greedo. He's only talking to Greedo because he has to talk to Greedo so he can shoot Greedo. The same thing with uh, the situation of the Death Star. One of the few times that Han actually tries to talk his way out of a situation, he gives up like right away and shoots the console. <laughs> I mean, we're all fine here. How are you? Yeah, it's like he's so uncomfortable doing it. And you can see how he just, it's one of those wonderful moments where Harrison Ford, I believe, is actually ad-libbing all that dialogue. And Mm -hmm. it is so wonderfully done. I think Lando could have talked Greedo down. I think he could have talked him into, hey, follow me outside. I know exactly where the money is and lead him into an ambush. I think Lando could have talked down the guy on the other end of that radio on the Death Star. Yeah. Because I think Lando isn't the sort of guy who goes for violence as the first resort. Uh, Lando's the sort of guy that tries to avoid that because it's just messy and it's too much of a gamble. He'd rather go the safe route. And he also has a supreme amount of confidence in his own ability to talk people down and his charm. Because Lando is a freaking cool guy. I mean, that's what I love about Billy D. Williams is that he brings this just easy, suave confidence to this character that you like him even if you know he may be trying to get into your pocket and get your money he may be ripping you off but he's cool without being douchey about it which is a really hard thing to pull off for an actor and a character and what i really love is he's kind of this mix between uh brett maverick and you remember the old tv show maverick with Mm -hmm. uh james garner and he also reminds me a lot of another james garner character which is jim rockford Both of these characters were not people that went to violence, that they would try to charm their way out of a situation. They would think things through because they knew that, you know, there's only so much luck you have and eventually it's going to run out. So I'm going to try to stall that violent action as much as I possibly can. But there's also kind of a Clark Gable vibe that Billy D. Williams brings to it, where he really has this kind of really cool leading man vibe to it, which is a lot different than Han. Han looks like a criminal. Mm Mm-hmm. I think Han is also proud of being a criminal. I think he just likes that lifestyle. Like, when Han goes back to doing what he does in Force Awakens, he's dealing with the same exact scummy people that he was probably dealing with 30 years before, doing the same kind of jobs, the exact same scams that he's running on people with their money. Like, he just trusts that eventually he'll get it back before they find him. And with of the Hutt, of course, that didn't work out. But, I mean, I think that Han is one of those guys that pushes his luck and pushes his luck and pushes his luck. I think Lando's much more aware of how much he's pushing his luck and tries not to let it get to that point. And I think the other big thing, though, is Lando can actually be an administrator, that he sees, you know, the idea of being a career criminal as a foundation to build something legit. And I don't know. Did you ever watch The Wire? Oh uh, Yeah. The, they kind of remind me of the difference between the characters of Avon Barksdale and Stringer Bell. Okay. In that show, uh, this was a crime organization run by a criminal named Avon Barksdale who ran all of the drugs in this Baltimore area. You know, And he was somebody who had worked his way up Horatio Alger style to basically being a ruthless crime boss that kind of existed under the radar. And his number one lieutenant was a guy named Stringer Bell. They had been best friends. They'd grown up together. But in the end, the thing that kind of started to drive them apart was that Avon was a guy who had been born into this lifestyle. He, was, he grew up on the streets. He was a criminal. He was a gangster, and he was comfortable with that. Stringer Bell wasn't. Stringer Bell always wanted something more than this life, that this was a means to go legit and become a businessman at some point. And that's really what created a, a wedge between them. Han Solo is happy to be the guy scamming those guys whose money he took for this reason. He invested in something else, and eventually he'd push his luck. He's happy to be that kind of criminal forever. Lando's not. Not only does Lando, he's much more comfortable in a much more polished environment but he wants to wear nicer clothes and eat better food. Han probably wears, I mean Han is definitely a wear it out of the hamper kind of guy which is why at the end of Empire Strikes Back where Lando is wearing his clothes that's the cleanest they've ever looked and uh, you look at, uh, I mean Chewie, Chewie is so comfortable eating garbage that he wants to eat the, you know, a dead animal that's just hanging there in the middle of the Endor Woods. But I imagine if you're running a scam with Lando, you're going to eat a lot better. You're going to have some really good food because he's just like, okay, I can do this stuff. I can fight. I can exist in sort of the scummy parts of the universe, but I don't really want to unless I have to. And that's sort of the, the key difference I see with him.
0: You know, we never did see how that dinner party went on Cloud City when he led no. them into the trap.
2: But I bet the food was amazing.
0: Yeah, and I think the distinction, sort of what you were saying, um, Han thrives on a a little bit of chaos. He needs that that lawlessness. He needs that energy, that no escape plan in order to survive. That energy is just built-in part of his character. Lando doesn't want chaos. Lando likes the order and stability that a, a management or administrative position gives him because... It's the quickest way to rob people and take their money. That, that's part of his gambling sale, which seems a little bit counterproductive or counterintuitive. I, would, I should say, as as the gambler, he doesn't like not knowing what everybody's cards are. But again, going into that confidence, knowing if he can control as much as he can, that's the way he's gonna. That's the way he's gonna make the money. That's the way he's gonna set himself up and empower himself.
2: Yeah, I think he runs the odds, but he's not somebody that runs the odds too, but I think Han Solo is a guy that likes to wing it, Mm -hmm. and I don't think Lando's that comfortable winging it. If they were doing a heist, for instance, I think Han and Chewie would just show up and hope for the best. Maybe they'd have an idea of a plan, like they'd have one element of a plan, like, Mm -hmm. I know the code to this back door. Where with Lando, he's not comfortable just knowing that. He wants to know all the other parts in there. And he's going to bring some people in that will put themselves between him and genuine danger.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He's going to want to know as many things as he can before he actually rolls the dice. Actually, one bit I really liked in the Lando miniseries that Marvel put out by Charles Soule, who's going to be mm-hmm. writing the Poe Dameron series. Yep. Is the series actually opens with Lando in a, in a relationship, a romantic relationship, with an imperial governor who he's there to rob. And he's probably been building this up for several months. And he does take a massive gamble, which is that he basically just admits everything to this woman.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He tells her that I'm here to rob you. But the gamble that he takes is he professes his love to her and says, I didn't know that you were this wonderful woman and that I, I love you. And I, I can't have you not know exactly who I am. And I'm and ex- admitted everything. I'm the gambler. And I'm all this. And I'm taking the gamble. I'm gambling with my own life. That you're not this horrible person that all these people say you are, and explaining that I'm here to take this thing because I owe this money to this person, he gets her to give it to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's so brilliant about that is, in a weird way, in, in the moment it's much more dangerous. Yeah. But in the long run, what he did was smarter because now she's not going to hunt him across the galaxy as a jilted lover who, as an imperial governor, has to appear strong right. and has to publicly execute this guy and. There's no limit to the length that she would go to catch this guy and humiliate and hurt him after the fact, simply because she has to maintain the respect of her position. Right. And that is so much smarter. I mean, Han Solo wouldn't have gone through, one, working a long con. I can't see Han having the patience for a long con, No. and two, I don't think Han Solo would have been able to ingratiate himself into that world mm-hmm. where Lando can. Lando can talk to respectable people. Like, if you're going to rob something and you get caught, but they don't quite know you're a criminal, Lando's the guy you want to talk to the cops. Yeah. Because Lando could, one, talk them down, but also convince people that they're not really criminals.
0: hmm It's this almost, like, inception-level scheme where, yeah, if he just robs her, she'll never stop hunting him down. But if he convinces her to give it to him willingly, the, the gem or the jewel that he's trying to steal... Then it's her idea. She did it to protect somebody she cares about or to help him. And then he's scot-free. Then he committed the same essential crime while not letting them know that they were ever actually robbed.
2: Yeah, yeah seriously. Because, I mean, he can look. he's going to be looking over his back for somebody. Mm-hmm. But do you really want to add one really powerful foe to your rogues gallery? Right. Who is going to be your main concern for probably the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Especially because this is not, this one robbery is not enough to be worth being hunted for the rest of your life. Because he's going to want to do other things. He has a debt, he has to pay off, he's got other things to deal with. And it's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I get paid this one time for this, but really I'm paying for it for the rest of my life. Once she has to, for the sake of pride and public image basically have to hunt me down forever and her resources have got to be insanely powerful
0: and he does take the risk when he tells her that he's got his back to her and she draws a gun on him and he's making this confession knowing that if he's played this wrong if he's read her wrong he's dead like going to jail might be his best option but but he knows it he's he's willing to call the bluff in that case so One of the reasons that I started liking Lando, and this goes back to my childhood with my older brother, when we were growing up, when we played with the toys or we had anything, he was older, so he got to call dibs on the character he liked. And he called dibs on Han because Mm -hmm. Han was cooler, Han had the dog, Han had the cool car, Han got the girl, and I had to be Luke which, as a little kid, I was fine with because Luke was the hero, and Luke had the laser sword, and it was his journey. So I thought I was getting, you know, the, the best end of that deal. And then kind of growing into my teen years, then I kind of went through that phase where I was like, oh, Luke is kind of smarmy and whiny in the beginning, and i kind of bored with the hero. I want a little bit of an anti-hero. I want somebody cool. But even, you know, after my brother had moved away, it still felt like Han was off-limits, because Han was his. So I was like, well, Who's cooler than Han Solo? Like, There's really only one guy, and it's Lando. Oh, it, Lando's great. And that's when you know I really started like I was like, and it, because of all those things you said, I was like, Lando is the successful version of Han. Lando's the version that doesn't always have to like run and you know sleep on the street because he's pissed off too many people. He's got a smarter read on people. He's also, and getting into where I was, he's Lando has this moment in. The Empire Strikes Back, which I think we both agree is one of the best parts of the the whole film, French, when Lando makes the horribly unpopular, unlovable choice, that's probably the only real option he has. Yeah. So yeah, so let's talk about Empire Strikes Back, who he is. We'd present him as this cool card player, suave. He's got that, you know, silky golden Uh, attitude about him and his costume and everything, and he welcomes them in the guise of a friend who's going to protect them, and he leads them into this trap. He sold them out.
2: I'm going to make an argument for this that not only was Lando right to do what he did Mm -hmm. and I'm actually going to make the argument that Lando Calrissian is the hero of the Empire Strikes Back. Okay. And I'm going to go that far with it because there is no character in the Empire Strikes Back that saves more lives than Lando. And he does it by making a really, really unpopular choice. And there is another character in the Empire Strikes Back who has that same kind of moral conundrum. And that's Luke Skywalker. And the difference between Luke and Lando is that Luke makes the easier choice. And Lando makes the harder choice for the greater good. Luke is basically set up as to go into a trap. The only reason that Darth Vader is hunting these people down is he wants to torture them to create enough psychic, you know, bad vibes into the universe to basically lure Luke into a trap so he could Mm -hmm. capture him and take him to the Emperor. And that's the reason that when Han Solo is being tortured, he doesn't even get ask him questions because he doesn't care. It isn't about Han Solo. What information could Han Solo have that he wants? He'll get it eventually anyways. But what he can do is send out so much psychic pain that it'll call Luke from wherever he's hiding. And Luke basically gives into that trap and walks right into it. He's supposed to be there coming to the rescue, but he doesn't actually save Han and Leia and everybody. What he does is walk into a trap and barely survive a fight with a guy who could have killed him at any moment, but his plan was not being there to kill him. He was there to try to take him alive, and that's why the fight lasted as long as it did. He also underestimated Luke a little bit. But in the end, Luke basically gets his hand cut off, getting into a fight with somebody that he's unprepared to battle, risks killing himself and getting himself taken over by the Empire, when really he was the long plan that Obi-Wan and Yoda had that he was the thing that could take down the Empire. And he risked throwing that whole plan down the garbage for the short-term game of protecting his friends, which he couldn't even do. And in the end, he has to be rescued from the antenna. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he fails on even that level. He basically just manages to survive and escapes by the skin of his teeth. Now, Lando is put into a situation, too, where he has to think about the greater good. And I think a lot of folks really come down hard on Lando, but I, if we're going to come down to it, He had a genuinely hard moral choice that he had to make. He made the right one, which is to say he makes a deal with the Empire and saves the lives of everybody in Cloud City, probably saves the lives of Han Solo, Leia, Chewbacca, and eventually uh, Luke Skywalker. Because what else was he going to do? When Darth Vader, the most feared dude in the galaxy, shows up at your administrative building and says, Hi, I'm here with this entire fleet of Star Destroyers that you cannot fight with your security guards or your bicycle built for two ships. They don't stand a chance. And every one of those Star Destroyers probably has hundreds of TIE fighters in them and who knows how many stormtroopers. That we are going to use your home as a staging ground to lure your friend so we can use him as bait. What are you going to say in response to that? Are you going to say no? Are you going to try to fight them? You get slaughtered. Do you think they have any problem putting Lando against the wall and shooting him? Because in the end, and this is the thing that a lot of folks that get angry at Lando don't seem to understand, is that Lando's real crime in The Empire Strikes Back is not being the main character. If Lando was the main character of The Empire Strikes Back, it would be the story of a criminal who worked his way into a respectable, though marginally legal, business empire how he built trust, and he got customers, and he got uh, found a way to basically go legit from being like a backroom gambler and con man, that he is a respected leader who's good at his job, who has the lives of thousands of people, not just customers, but also the people who mine the gas, the people who just keep the city running, all of that, thousands of people, and how in a single day, his friend from his criminal past shows up and destroys his professional, personal, and business life just destroys it by bringing darth vader down on him that's what the movie would be about it would be like one of those movies where um what was that movie where oh i forget what his name is uh it's there's like one of those movies where owen wilson shows up as the ne'er-do-well friend to sleep oh, on gosh. his couch and ruins i, I know what you know the one that. i'm talking about. yeah i was actually, like five I, movies
0: i was actually thinking of the movie rounders where matt damon is in law school And, like, preparing for the bar and everything, and Edward Norton is his old, skeezy buddy from the neighborhood, who, like, comes in and just basically talks him into start gambling again after he'd quit playing poker. And ends up, like, losing his money, ends up owing money to, like, the judge that he's clerking for and everything. and just a crazy situation, but yeah, that's what happens. Like, what, what else was Lando supposed to do? Han put him in the crosshairs of the Empire,
2: Oh, my God. He was in a place that was completely under the radar. And let's just say best case scenario at the end of this, let's say the Empire got Luke, they took him away, and they let everyone else go, which is, I think, the promise that they had made them, Mm -hmm. that we let your friends be bait now. Because remember, the idea of handing Han Solo over the bounty hunter was not part of the original deal. Right, right. That Darth Vader kept changing it. Yeah, and uh, the idea of you know having Leia and Chewie and everybody stay under his supervision was probably the original deal they will stay here you will keep them out of trouble mm-hmm. but they will be alive right. and you will throw under the bus a guy you have never met before right let's just say that scenario had played out as Vader had promised which is a deal that yeah you're gonna take it even though you know he's gonna rip you off because you have no choice because the alternative is he just sets Cloud City on fire right so best case scenario you have a scenario where how many of Lando's customers are never coming back because Darth Vader showed up at this place that was supposed to be under the radar? Mm-hmm. That a lot of these people are kind of existing in the gray market, so to speak. That yeah, maybe I'm you know dealing with something that is legal, but I may be buying it in illegal amounts, or there may be the certain amount of I don't know restrictions or uh, laws that I'm not exactly obeying to get this stuff at a cheap price or maybe that there's all these regulations that I'm not following, or maybe I'm not paying taxes on this stuff. Who knows what it is, but you get the impression that, uh, because Lando wasn't a member of the Mining Guild, I think he said. That may be a necessity, but he's sort of existing under the radar, dealing to people that probably don't want to get the Empire's attention. If you're somebody who can't get the Empire's attention doing something that might not be entirely legal, and then the place you do business has Darth Vader show up even once, you're never going back there. Right. I mean, the fact that Darth Vader at one point threatens to leave a garrison there permanently, which I assume he always intended. Sure. So Lando's professional life is ruined, even in the best of chances, that everything works out as, even to the degree that he was promised. It's still terrible for him that he can't come back from that. But at the end of this, he not only makes a decision when everything's going apart, everything's flying to pieces. The deal has been broken to the point that not only are they handing one of his old friends over to a bounty hunter, but they're handing over these new people he met to Darth Vader. Who knows what they're going to do to his city afterwards. He makes a decision to turn on Vader because it's gotten so bad that it's untenable. There's nothing to save at this point. He does take the action of evacuating Cloud City, which he didn't have to do. But he also takes the action of rescuing Leia and Chewie, which he didn't have to do. He could have snuck out and the, Vader probably wouldn't have stopped him. Because he doesn't care about this guy. He'd probably go back to playing the cards again. But Lando is now a wanted criminal who has personally attacked and helped escape the person that Darth Vader wanted to capture more than anyone. He rescued Luke. He got Leia and Chewie away from them. He is now one of the galaxy's most wanted. That's the thing he did, and what is what is their uh, reward for him coming to their rescue? And by the way, losing his awesome cape in the in the in the rescue. <laughs> yeah, that at some point at some point it just isn't on him. I think he loses it. It's when Chewie it grabs him by the throat,
0: and that's when he that's when he goes down to his knees and loses the cape.
2: Yeah, he doesn't get that cape back, and that cape was amazing. Oh, it was. So was. It was like this wonderful kind of cornflower blue with the black leather collar and it had this like wonderful patterned gold on the inside. It was gorgeous. And he just kind of wore it over his shoulders. That was a pimp cape. I love that cape. And that's what I love. Getting into Lando and capes, what I love is that even when he's a general in the Rebel <laughs> Alliance, he is wearing the standard uniform, except he's the only one of the generals wearing a cape. <laughs> and you can totally tell he probably had it special made to match the uniform. Yeah, he did. I love that. He's like no, I'm wearing a cape. It's kind of I just I love that sort of insistence. They're like, "Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's fine. We'll put up with it." Because you're going to fly into the Death Star. You know, I'll I'll allow any kind of uh uniform variation for anyone willing to do something that crazy for us. But yeah, I mean, Lando loses his cape, he loses his job he loses his freedom he has no choice but to join the rebel alliance at the end of this or just be a wanted criminal looking over his shoulder for the rest of his life Mm -hmm. and they try to strangle him for it and i just don't understand what they expect anyone to do because again i know we talked about this before the show started but i've noticed something among fandom which i call the gaius baltar problem (laughs) which is gaius baltar was a character on battlestar galactica who is inadvertently responsible for the death of 90% of humanity, probably more than 90, like 98% of sure, humanity, yeah, yeah. is wiped out in the first episode, and it's accidentally his fault, that he accidentally lets the Cylons in, pass the defense system so they could shut it out and nuke everybody. And he lives with that guilt. And he's terrified at all times in the first few seasons that people are going to find out what he did on accident and kill him for it. And... This is a character who does a lot of questionable things. There's a point where in a later season, he literally has a gun to his head and is told to sign a death warrant for all these other people. And he does it. He begs and he cries and he does it. And the thing that blows my mind is how angry people got at him for doing these things. When I can't believe for a second that most of us are action heroes, like Luke Skywalker or Han Solo or, you know, Starbuck or any of these characters on these shows... Most of us are not that person that if you put a gun to my head and tell me to sign something, I'm signing it and I will blubber and I will cry and I will beg. And what I think the sort of anger at, at people like Lando and like Gaius Baltar come from is that we don't want to admit that deep down that if we were put into that situation, that we would probably do the same thing. And there's a bit of shame that's involved in it. That we'd all like to believe that, you know, I refuse to push this button. I refuse to do this horrible thing. I will die for my principles in this moment. But it's really easy to say that in a work of fiction. It's a lot harder to do it in real life. And I think what Lando really does for Star Wars is inject that kind of a situation into a series where there's a lot of black and white, like literal black and white. Like in the first movie, Luke is wearing white and Darth Vader is wearing black. right I mean, Darth Vader, Darth Vader looks like the Grim Reaper. And, you know, like, Darth Maul looks like the devil. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the bad guys look like bad guys. Yeah. Emperor Palpatine is a monster man in a hood. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to point out who's good and who's bad. And for the most part, the heroes make decisions that are impossibly good, and it ends up working out for them. Lando's put into a place where he has to make a dirty, real-life decision in a world that has been largely escapist fantasy to this point. Right, Exactly. And fans just sort of punish him for it, even though in the end he helps them escape. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So I would say, again, to restate my thesis, Lando is the hero of The Empire Strikes Back. If not for him, I think all of the main characters would be dead, the citizens of Cloud City would be dead. And of course, you know, his chief responsibility has to be to them, not to his old friend. These are the people whose lives and livelihoods are in his hands every day years before Han Solo shows up after not you know being there for years in his old dump truck with his pet Bigfoot and a big bounty on his head. Not just from Jabba the Hutt, but also from Darth friggin' Vader. And ruining his life in a single day and that we're supposed to get mad at him that he does the only thing that's within his power to protect people's lives. Again, Lando, he is the hero.
0: I'm always fascinated by characters who are either Cowards or somehow compromised, and I, I feel like Lando falls into the the compromised and seems he's operating out of a position of fear. But I mean, what else could you do in his situation? So I respect that. And and you're right. Going back to that point, when you look at the two characters faced with these these moral questions, do I do what's right for my friends or do I do what is right for the greater good? Luke makes the more selfish decision to protect his friends, which is what we think we want the hero to do. And you see how horribly wrong it goes for him. Lando does the unpopular, disreputable thing, which is sell out the characters that we love, but ultimately that's that's what he needs to do in order to protect more people. And it does come down to eventually he's, he's the one who plays a part in rescuing everybody. He gets Leia and Chewie onto the Falcon and gets them away. And then they have to go back and rescue Luke, like further endangering him. I've always liked the moment when he actually gets on the intercom and tells everybody to evacuate Cloud City. And Mm -hmm. I see that as two different things. I see that Lando operating altruistically, but also selfishly and smartly because he's he's getting all of the people away from the Empire, which is nice. But I always kind of figured, okay, they get in the Millennium Falcon, you've still got the Super Star Destroyer sitting above them in orbit, and it's going to see them as soon as they leave. They also don't have the hyperdrive, so they're sitting ducks. But when he gives the order to evacuate, suddenly the Star Destroyer's radar dish is lit up with a hundred or more ships that it's trying to, tre- it, that it's trying to track. And the Falcon can slip away in the crowd. He just basically created a riot diversion so that they can sneak away. But then that is that is undercut by the fact that they do have to go back to rescue Luke. And I always mm-hmm. thought that that's what he was thinking, like that's why he didn't want to go back. It wasn't because he didn't care about Luke, it was because they'll see us. Everybody else has taken off. You're gonna put us right back in their in their crosshairs, in the targets. So
2: And another thing, too, is that a lot of folks don't seem to pick up the fact that he sticks up to Darth Vader several times. Mm -hmm. It's just he sticks up to him within reason, because it's clear Darth Vader could kill him at any time he wants. Sure. I mean, we spent the entire, you know, first 45 minutes of the movie watching Darth Vader kill people who disappoint him. (laughs) So we know at this point in this movie what this guy is capable of if somebody gets in his way. My favorite moment with Darth Vader in the entire movie is when he's on a conference call. Uh, in the asteroid field and the scene opens with just this bridge of a Star Destroyer getting smashed by a giant asteroid and it cuts to Darth Vader on the conference call with the little holographic guys and the commanders of the other ships and one guy just fades out and you realize that guy just died and Darth Vader doesn't care. Nobody says anything because they're more afraid of Darth Vader than the asteroid field. Mm -hmm. That they are that scared of this guy. It's one of my favorite pieces of visual storytelling and character work. So that's the character that we have built up at the point that he's altering the deal all the time on Lando Calrissian. And you realize what this guy's reputation is. He's like the emperor's strongman; Everyone's afraid of this guy. But even within those perimeters, he basically says things like, well, hold on a minute here. This was not part of our deal. You never said anything about handing Han over to this guy. You never said anything about taking uh, Leia and Chewie up to your ship. You never did this. And there's even a point where they're inspecting the carbon freezing chamber. And even though he's never met Luke, he just says, like, Lord Vader, you put him in that thing, it might kill him. Right. I mean, he's still, there's a moral issue there where he does, he's looking out for Luke even though Luke's not there. He's never met Luke. He's not an amoral character. He's, he often thinks selfishly, but he thinks in the big picture. But the fact that he sticks up to Darth Vader as much as he does, he backs down right away because he knows what continuing this line of argument means, mm-hmm. which it means that he's probably going to be thrown down an incinerator. Yeah. Like, Darth Vader's not afraid of Lando. He never is. But it's important but one of the for few- us,
0: for the viewers, to see those moments of Lando sticking up. Part of it is it's, it's expositional, giving us a sense of why he did this betrayal, but also that... He hates this. That he's. Oh. Yeah. That this was a deal with the devil. That he just. He, it's. It's getting worse. It's spinning out of control, and Lando likes control, and when it pushes him to ult- ultimately make that same choice to protect the people that are that came to him for help to do, it's your obligation as their host to save them. So.
2: I really love it, but just seeing how uncomfortable he is in those moments where. He's sitting outside the room where Han's being tortured, hears him screaming, and he's just there locking eyes with Boba Fett.
1: hmm
2: And he's just like, my God, my day sucks. <laughs> I mean, <there's> that, <laughs> it's like, you didn't know this is what your day was going to be, mm-hmm. that I'm going to be in a room with this completely amoral bounty hunter who's there to haul off my friend to this gangster. Meanwhile, he's being tortured in a room by the most dangerous man in the entire galaxy who everyone's afraid of. There's probably no corner of the galaxy that doesn't know about Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, this is not how I saw my day ending.
0: Well, let's look at Lando the day after then, which would be Return of the Jedi. My biggest problem with Return of the Jedi is ultimately it's just Luke. It's just the conclusion of Luke's journey. And everybody else plays a a function to the plot, but we don't get real character moments between them.
2: And that's sort of that is a real letdown. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and that that was something that I'd I'd mentioned before, based on the marketing before the Force Awakens came out, everybody was like, oh yeah, like Poe Dameron, he's gonna be the new the new X wing pilot, he's like the new Wedge, or he's like the new Han, and I'm like, from everything I'm seeing, I think he's like the new Lando in Return of the Jedi, which is he's just the good soldier, the good leader who's going to lead the strike attack, but we don't really follow him on his journey.
2: And yeah, it's a a real shame. He does show up, but he doesn't really get to do a lot. Almost nobody gets anything to really do in Return of the Jedi except for Luke. But I say there's one good character moment with Lando in Return of the Jedi. It's the moment where him and Han are talking before they separate before the Battle of Endor, Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, Han insists that Lando take the Millennium Falcon and Han is clearly, you know, scared for his ship. But Lando sort of talks him down, and, and it, you see him kind of—you see their friendship a bit, and it's—it's it's very brief. But for the most part, that's the most that Lando really gets to do character-wise. I mean, he does get to blow up the Death Star, which is no small thing. And really, look at what that Death Star run differed from the one in the original movie—is that he's actually flying into the Death Star. <laughs> In a ship that's like five times bigger than an (laughs) X-Wing. It's essentially a a U-Haul truck that's been militarized. (laughs) And you're flying into something that you probably don't have the same level of plans for that you did with the original Death Star because that one was at least completed. You're just hoping they haven't built it up so much that you can't actually fit this giant ship into this passageway. You don't know how big it's going to get. That really is my favorite space battle in all of Star Wars. And it's amazing how much fun it is to watch, given that Lando is really the only real character that's taking part in the entire part of the story. That, you know, we have a lot of affection for Admiral Akbar and uh, Nien Nub, who's the dude with the jowls, mm-hmm, who's Lando's mm-hmm. co pilot. I love that guy. They're kind of cool. I love that guy, too. Um, made a cameo in The Venture Brothers once. <laughs> yes, um, you did. I remember that. And uh, But for the most part, Lando's really the only character that we know in that scene who's taking part in it. And Oh, Wedge, kind of. But Wedge is really kind of just a competent extra mm-hmm. who, who manages to show up to give a sense of continuity to the Rebel Alliance. But for the most part, that's really Lando is all the space battle stuff. And it does have some of my favorite um, shots of space battle of any part of the Star Wars series so far and uh, my favorite special effects shot in all of Star Wars is in that moment where the Millennium Falcon is flying out of that chamber after it blasted the core and that giant dome thing collapses and turns into an explosion just as they fly out of that framing device of the tunnel. I love that shot so much and yep. it doesn't get old to me and knowing that was done with like models and with you know green screen and whatever it's just so beautifully done. I love that thing so much there really are some really great little moments, but that's really all they are, as a moments Lando doesn't really get a story in Return of the Jedi.
0: I almost wonder just as a sort of speculative exercise I wonder if Lando and Han's roles had been reversed. If Han and Chewie had done the Falcon run and Lando had gone down to Endor with Leia, or instead of Leia like, would Lando have been able to talk the Ewoks into letting them go?
2: Like, is he is I- he that good? <laughs> Um, if he has like C-3PO with him, if he can if he can translate it, I bet you he could have talked them into handing over their entire Ewok city. He probably could have built a casino there and they'd be like, wow, this is great. But yeah, I think, I I don't know. I think that things worked out exactly the way they sort of had to. Yeah. Um, I think the main reason that they put the main characters down on Endor rather than battle the Death Star is that they knew that the Death Star thing was a repeat of what they saw Luke do in the first movie. And that it's still important, but we have to have the main characters doing something different. So a uh, side character is going to be the one a uh, supporting guy is going to blow up the Death Star this time. We've seen um, the main character blow up the Death Star already. We want to see them do something completely different. The Luke does a brand new thing by confronting the Empire, you know, the Emperor himself, in his throne room. And um, Han Solo and, and Leia and Chewie and everyone is down on the, the forest in an actual ground battle, which is something i don't think they'd ever ended a uh a star Star wars movie with before i mean they began with the hoth battle but that was them losing so having them actually win a ground battle in a star wars movie was a new thing still
0: yeah yeah that's true so looking at lando outside of the two movies did you ever read the the lando calrissian trilogy of novels
2: I didn't. I think aside from the Heir to the Empire trilogy, I haven't read any of the Star Wars books. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm glad they exist. I like the fact that clearly the people who are writing these books saw something in this character and said, this is a guy with a past. This is a guy who's gone on adventures before this. Like Luke Skywalker, like we talked about this with, you know, Ray and Finn, that this was the beginning of their character arc where uh, Poe Dameron is definitely a guy who's had adventures. I think Lando is like that, too lando's a guy that's done a bunch of things that are really cool before we meet him in uh empire strikes back and there's so much stuff you could pull from for those sort of things i the idea of lando doing a heist or lando uh being involved in some sort of a deal maybe he's got to move something here i mean there's so many cool things and i think crime fiction is one of those genres that is just infinite in its ability to create stories and Lando's a guy who lends himself really well to those sorts of stories. That he gets pulled into a situation or he has a friend who pulls him into a situation. Lando comes across as a sort of guy who has a lot of friends in a lot of places who could easily be the vector point at which he gets pulled into a larger story. So he really is a character that has so much potential for use from, for any writer, I'd say.
0: Yeah. I read the first book of the Lando trilogy and – I didn't like the writing. I didn't think it was that good. It was an interesting science fiction tale that I don't think ever really felt like a Star Wars story, or like it was in that universe. So I I think that was kind of ultimately the failing. But I agree with you, and I think you can definitely tell some great kind of Star Wars underworld type of adventures with Lando as your protagonist or as a great side character. He just fits that. You did read the Lando five-issue miniseries from Marvel. Oh,
2: yeah, that was great. I really love that one.
0: I recommend that to readers. It's Lando and Lobot. We get to see Lobot, who's a a great character. We find out a lot more about Lobot 2 supposedly just stealing a ship, and then they find out halfway through that this isn't just any ship. This happens to be a personal yacht belonging to Emperor Palpatine, and where it goes from there is really cool.
2: Oh, there's so many great little moments in it. And it really highlights the things that are, I think, unique to Lando versus other Star Wars characters. Is This is a plot where you could have the setup be a Han Solo story, but the execution could have never been a Han Solo story because it would have gone in a completely different direction. Han would have just showed up at the shipyards in a very different way to steal the ship, mm-hmm. where Lando kind of pulls an Ocean's Eleven kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And they don't actually find out what it is that they stole until after they get it. And I, what I really love about this story is that it highlights all of the character's strengths. It has a real understanding. Alex Malive who did the art, he used to be an artist on Daredevil during Bendis's run. I love his art. N- I do too. He just nails it. I mean, it just feels like Billy D Williams Charles Soule, nails the voice of Lando, but Alex Malive really gets the body language of Billy D Williams and he looks just like Billy D Williams. And it's so easy to hear Billy D Williams voice in your head while reading the dialogue in this. They just—they absolutely nail it. And it really is kind of the potential uh, fulfilled of this character that I don't think oftentimes he kind of gets pushed to the back. Um, I totally understand leaving him out of uh, Force Awakens because there's a lot of people in that movie and there's a lot of new concepts to introduce. But I'd love to see him in the next one. And I know that Billy D. Williams just did a voice for an episode of Star Wars Rebels mm-hmm. and is totally game to come back. So... There's no reason you can't have Lando show up in a future Star Wars movie.
0: Yeah, he voiced his, he voiced the character in Rebels. He voiced the character in the Lego movie, so you know he still yeah. has a lot of affection for this. And yeah, and I think he, as much as said, he'll go back. I'm I'm quite sure that we will see him again. I and I have a feeling that'll be a great a great moment when we see his return. Uh, and I, I anticipate it will be Episode Eight. Getting back to that comic, like you said, I I was a huge fan of the Bendis and Maliv run on Daredevil. It's one of my favorite runs in comics. Uh, I just I really like what they did, so I was happy to see that he was going to be the artist.
2: It's kind of crazy because you wouldn't assume from reading his Daredevil run that he'd be a science fiction guy. Because the Daredevil run has a very gritty urban look to it. It really pulls you into a real life kind of vibe. Where it, it almost kind of, of, of mocks a photorealistic kind of world to throw these... Sort of larger than life characters into, and the Star Wars universe is just so colorful and just so alien and so weird that you wonder how somebody who can do stuff so gritty could nail it. But he just nails the look of this universe. Yeah, he does. It it just feels like Star Wars, and I just couldn't be happier with it. I'd love to see more Lando. Maybe another Lando miniseries in the future. Um, i I'd love to see more with it. the 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 character is just really lends itself to good storytelling. Mm he lends himself to a level of again the moral ambiguity that you don't get with a lot of Star Wars characters that people are either um, a bad guy with you know Han Solo is a bad boy but he's ultimately a good guy Mm -hmm. and never has the sort of situation that Lando's in where Lando's in a, a situation where he really does have to do a in the short term bad thing for a greater good still there's something that's just charming about him that can overcome even the people that get angry at the stuff he does in Empire
0: and I love, in that comic, a lot of it is set up to something that we talked about in the beginning, was the the Lando playing the long game, the long con. And we see it throughout that series that he's built up this reputation that Lando is not a fighter. Lando uses his words, he uses his charm, he uses any sort of luck in the galaxy that he can get to get out of every situation. And what we see is that is a reputation that Lando has cultivated specifically so that people underestimate him when it comes down to actually fight. Uh, and, and when we see that pay off in the comic, it's beautiful. It's, it's one of my favorite moments.
2: They nail it. They yeah. absolutely nail it. Yeah. So.
0: All right. Well, any last thoughts about Lando Calrissian?
2: Well, I just think he's a great character, and i really like to have people go back and watch Empire Strikes Back and just take the perspective of Lando as the main character. Pretend that the movie starts with him walking out onto that platform to meet Han Solo, mm-hmm. and try to see it from his point of view, and I think a lot of people will have their minds changed when you pretend that this is your life being destroyed in a single day by your near-to-well friend.
0: Uh, that's a great advice. I think I- I'll probably do that as soon as I can. Uh, that is going to wrap up our discussion on Lando, but before we say farewell, I will give you a chance to plug your shows, but first, I have the questionnaire for every guest on Give Me Those Star Wars. Mike Gillis, would you rather drive Luke Skywalker's land speeder from Star Wars A New Hope or Ray's speeder from The Force
2: Awakens? Uh, I think Ray's speeder looks like it's a lot more fun because it's like a sideways fudgesicle, <laughs> which is pretty cool. I, I think it looks pretty cool. I think I'd probably go with that one. I'd probably be more comfortable uh, riding Luke's land speeder because it looks more like a car and Ray's looks more like a motorcycle. But it's just so weird looking that I'd have to try it.
0: It's like a motorcycle mixed with a John Deere tractor.
2: Yeah, it has that kind of vibe to it. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely raise.
0: All right, question two. Classic Imperial Stormtrooper or First Order Stormtrooper?
2: That's a really hard one. I think I'm probably going to go with Classic Stormtrooper, and there's one thing that I can throw out there that I don't think a lot of folks will be able to unsee. I overcame it quite a bit when I actually saw the movie, but the Stormtrooper helmets for the First Order, once I saw it, I couldn't unsee that they kind of look like ducks. And it kind of looks like the Stormtrooper helmet that you might have as a parody of Star Wars on Darkwing Duck or something. But I still think they no, look great. But no, I kinda,
0: I can't, I, now I can see it. Oh.
2: Yeah, see, it, it's hard to unsee that. I'm, I have to go with a classic one. Though, as the story went on, I noticed the duck thing less and less. <laughs> but it's still there. It's undeniably there.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right, question three. Would you rather have a lightsaber or Boba Fett's jetpack?
2: Oh, Boba Fett's jetpack. I would, I would, I don't know. Both of these things have a potential for me hurting myself, (laughs) but if I ever have the opportunity to fly, I can't turn that down. I'm never going to be able to sword fight no matter what I do, but I think I could figure out a jetpack if I don't die right away.
0: Would you rather live on Tatooine or Dagobah?
2: Dagobah. I I think at least I'd always have something to eat on Dagobah, even if it's gross.
0: (laughs) All right. Not counting Boba Fett, who is the coolest bounty hunter introduced in The Empire Strikes Back?
2: As much as I like Bosk, who's basically just a flight suit wearing lizard, I got to go with IG-88 because it was the first droid that you saw in the entire series who wasn't owned by somebody. And just the idea of a droid sort of not only emancipating himself from the general sense of them being property, but who has a business. I mean, he's actually an entrepreneur droid. I have no idea what he does with the money he gets from bounty hunting because most of it will probably go into repairing himself, repairs that he would only need because he's bounty hunting. But what does a droid do with money anyways? I don't know, but I'd be really curious to find out.
0: Would you rather go on a date with Princess Leia or Carrie Fisher?
2: Uh, probably Carrie Fisher. She'd be a lot more interesting. <laughs> uh, Carrie Fisher, I've got to say, does the best interviews. Yeah. Of anyone that I've ever seen acting in anything because Carrie Fisher has this ability to just not give a shit that I aspire to she's overcome so much that the idea of her being embarrassed or having an interview that doesn't go great believably she knows the scale of things and knows what small potatoes that actually is and that's got to be just so absolutely liberating that any opportunity to interact with Carrie Fisher you cannot turn down
0: Right. And final question, if you had the force, would you be pulled to the light side or the dark side?
2: I think it's almost impossible to not get pulled to the dark side. I mean, you're not supposed to marry anybody. You're not supposed to feel anything too much. You're supposed to be sedate. You're supposed to be calm all the time. And it's just, it's impossible. It seems like you can have a life or you can be a Jedi, but you can't be both. It seems like it's just so easy. You're not allowed to feel jealousy or anger and how can you be a human and not feel these things? And it just feels like the the reason that you probably have to recruit a Jedi when they're such a little kid is that there's no adult that would agree to this sort of thing because they would understand what it is that they're giving up. So, yeah, I'd, I would probably end up being a, I wouldn't say a Sith Lord, but I'd probably be a Sith Renfield to somebody. <laughs> but I, could, I couldn't imagine, you know, being able to hold to that, that level of just emotional discipline it just seems just so insane and that that's why i get drawn to people like you know han and lando way more is that they're allowed to be dirty they're allowed to feel things they're allowed to get angry or get revenge or or be jealous and uh it just it seems a lot less fun to be uh luke skywalker the further along he goes yeah he gets a laser sword and he gets all these cool powers but it seems like a lot of the fun you could have with all of those things is severely diminished by the restrictions you have on your behavior.
0: All right, Mike, where else can people find you online?
2: Well, I have two podcasts that I actually co-host with my tag team partner, Casey Doran. The first one is Radio Versus the Martians, which is a pop culture panel discussion show that we do every month. Basically, uh, Casey and myself get uh, two of our friends and we hash out a pop culture topic for usually a half an hour to two hours. The last episode we did was on Batman. And we have a spin-off podcast that we've been doing. We just put out our second episode of Podcasta La Vista Baby, which is a celebration of the cinematic Tour de Force that is the film works of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, we just did an episode on Kindergarten Cop, and we really dig into that movie. And uh, I hope you'd enjoy it. You can check out Radio versus the Martians on iTunes, Stitcher, and Radio vs Themartians.com. You can get a podcast of La Vista Baby in the same places, iTunes, Stitcher and podcastolavistababy.com.
0: I highly recommend both of those shows. They're terrific. You and Casey do a great job. Mike, thank you very much for being on this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. It's a pleasure to have you.
2: Thank you. you see,
0: since we're a small operation, we don't fall into the jurisdiction
1: of the Empire.
2: So you're part of the mining guild
1: then. No, not actually. Our operation is small enough not to be noticed. Which is advantageous for everybody since uh, our customers are
2: anxious to avoid attracting attention to themselves. So aren't you afraid the Empire is gonna find out about this little operation? Shut you down? It's always been a danger, but it looms like a shadow over everything
1: we've built here. But things have developed that'll ensure security. Mm. I've just made a deal that'll keep the Empire out of here forever.
0: That's going to be all for this episode. Once again, I want to thank Mike Gillis for being my guest. I highly recommend you check out his shows Radio vs. the Martians and Podcasta La Vista, baby. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for this podcast can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can also find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01, or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. I got some wonderful feedback on the first episode. For now, I'm going to try and address listener feedback on every third or fourth installment of the show. Part of the theme music for this podcast is performed by the Evil Genius Orchestra from their album Star Wars Cocktails in the Cantina, available for purchase on iTunes and at Amazon Music. That and all other music, audio clips, and quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.